Good morning, family. How we doing? Our worship team always has a lot of fun, but Steve Walker was having a blast this morning. That was awesome, dude. Something like that, but uh, that was cool, man. Um, The snow. Who, Who likes the snow? Who hates it? I love the snow about as much as I love Christmas music in November, so, right? You feel me? Now, now. Um, Darcy and Annette, would you guys make your way up here? Darcy and Annette have been part of uh, Novation from from the very outset. They were part of the pioneers with us when we started this church, and They have a little something they want to share with you. And yes, they have Kleenex in their hands. So (laughs) come on in, guys. Darcy and Annette, um, we love you guys. I know you have something you want to share. Thank you very much. We asked Scott uh, a while back uh, for the opportunity to stand up here and share some news with our church. And so I'm going to let my wife start. And just so you know, she's a little nervous. So here we go. I'm nervous because this is very hard. This is very hard. Um, Thank you, Scott, for giving us the opportunity to serve with you and uh, be a part, be a part of greeting every Sunday and being a part of Jill and Brian's uh, home group. Thank you, guys. Oh, I snorted. (laughs) (laughs) And Steve, I just want to say, Every time you sit up here, I think of all the prayers that we had for you to join the worship team, prayers that were answered. So um, we just wanted to say thank you to the church body, that we're all family, and that we will still be family in South Carolina. Um, If Tony, Jennifer, and Jill, if you're listening, we're coming out there. So um, uh, we're looking forward to starting that family, too. said we are moving to South Carolina. I'm doing it for selfish reasons. I'm tired of shoveling snow. And there are hundreds of golf courses out there that I have Amen never played. That too. And so that's what we're going for. But we just wanted to say thank you to you, the church. It's not this building. It's the people that make up this church. and uh, The lives that uh, have touched us and the opportunities that we have had to pray with others. Uh, to have prayer done for us, um, this is a special place. And I believe you all know that because you're here at Novation and you keep coming back to Novation. And it's a place of God, and uh, that's important. We are looking for a church out there, so we're going to ask that you keep us in prayer uh, as we move and that we find a a church that, um, you know, will feel like home like Novation does. Novation will never be out of our hearts. We pray for Novation every day. Um, We just, you know, decided that uh, this is a new phase of life for us. And so we're going to go and enjoy a little bit of South Carolina. I'm going to take the opportunity, if you don't mind, I want to pray over you, the church, um, here this morning. And uh, just ask that you stand in agreement with me. Father, we just uh, come before you. And first and foremost, we thank you for putting on Scott and Janelle's heart uh, the founding of this church. We thank you, Lord, for their steadfastness and their uh, strength and courage to, to move forward and get innovation started. 
it has been a, a great ride, Lord. Ten years of standing out there greeting people and meeting people, although I'm very bad with names, I, I do remember faces. And, Lord, we've seen a lot of smiling faces come through those doors, and we thank you for this. Father, I want to bless all the marriages. Have you bless all the marriages that are represented in this church. I want you to uh, just be with them, give them strength and courage to do the things that they need to do. Lord, I ask that you be over the single people in this church and start preparing their uh, future spouses, if that's in the cards, and that, Lord, uh, those things will come to fruition in your time, and that we truly believe. Bless all the children represented here in this church, Lord. Let them grow up being just followers of you, Amen. followers of Jesus Christ. And that's what we are. That is what the church is. We are followers of Christ. So, Father, I just ask that you would continue to bless Scott and the uh, other pastors here, Pastor Mark and uh, their spouses, and uh, just be with them and their visions going forward. And, Father, most of all, we just thank you for who you are and loving us and being with us and being over us. I would ask that all of us be obedient, Lord, to your calling, that, Father, in that obedience we will find true joy. You tell us that things are going to come our ways, but still, when they do, we can find that peace and that comfort in you. We thank you and we love you in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Let us pray over you guys. Oh, awesome. We extend a hand towards these guys. Father, we are so grateful for Darcy and Annette and their faithfulness. Um, I think that's the word that defines them. They're faithful to you, and they've been faithful to this church. And so, um, Lord, the, the void that's going to be because of them moving, Lord, I, I, I pray for more folks like them to be part of this church, to roll up their sleeves with us and help reach people with the good news of Jesus. And so thank you for them. Bless them as they prepare to move the next few weeks, the hecticness of moving across the country and all of that stuff. Lord, let it be a joyful time to them. Keep blessing their marriage. What a great example of marriage they are. Bless and, and keep them, Lord. And we just are grateful for the time that we've had together to do this thing called church together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. I think they're going to be here the next few weeks, so you've got some couple Sundays to get your hug in and get prayed for again by them. <laughs> Father, thanks for this time. As we open your word this morning, I pray you would truly be the teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I was reading an article recently, and it was about the top discoveries that changed the world that we probably take for granted right now and 2022. And it kind of went in this order a little bit. The first one was the wheel. I mean, wheels are pretty important, but when they invented the wheel, it changed being able to move, you know, big bricks and rocks and things of that nature. And then the next one was metal or steel nails, being able to fasten things together, build bigger houses and so forth. And then the compass was a discovery that changed the world. You had the compass, which took people to go find, you know, ships out at sea to find the new land and all of that stuff. And then the printing press changed the world. 
Instead of handwriting manuscripts of books and literature and so forth, you were able to mass produce books and literature. The combustion engine was a discovery that changed the world. You had trains and then cars and planes and rockets and stuff. Then the telephone changed the world. You could communicate with people at a distance from where you were at. And our phones now are crazy, what, what we can do with our phones. And then the light bulb. How many are grateful for light bulbs, right? <laughs> it, when that was discovered, changed the world. Penicillin made this list. When they discovered penicillin, they were able to you know, heal people quicker from sicknesses and, and disease. What do you think the number one was? Toilet papers is important. The internet. Like, those things changed the world. What would life be like? Some of us know what life was like prior to the internet, but most people, you, you've been raised with the internet, and you don't know anything other than that. Some of us old farts, we remember what it was like before the internet. But I want to say this. There is something far more greater than any of these discoveries. From eternity past in in the mind of God and in the heart of God was something and someone that would truly change the world. And that's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He changed the world forever, for, for eternity. And he inaugurated his church. He said in Matthew 16, he said, I will build my church. He, he takes responsibility for building his church. We are not called to build a church. That's his job. We're called to make disciples who make disciples of, of people who follow Jesus. And so when you, the, the other definition for the, the word church is belonging to the Lord. That's what it means and why we translate that word Uh, church is an old German word that means belonging to the Lord. In Greek, Jesus would have used the word ekklesia. And whenever you see the part ek, it always means from without, from out of something. So the church is called out of the world and into the kingdom of God. What comes to mind when people think of church most often, do you think? Help me out. Rules, Uh uh-oh. Glad you're in here. I think people think of a building. Big, beautiful church buildings. And we think that's that's a problem because a church is not a building, it's people. You can go to the next one. That is an old missionary church in San Antonio from many, many years ago. Next. And you got that. It's probably in the south. (laughs) Keep going. The big sanctuaries keep rolling. Some people think of this, stained glass. You know, that's telling a story of the the birth of Jesus. We evangelicals in the West probably don't appreciate that kind of stuff, but it's pretty cool. How about that guy? That's Father Jones or whoever. I don't know who that is. But often when people think of church, they think of a priest, right? And we're going to get back to what that means, why they're called priests in the, in the first place in this, in this message this morning. You ever remember this when you were a kid? 
you'd go, here's the church, here's the steeple, you open the doors, there's all the people. That's terrible theology, right? Because this building is not the church. These guys are the church, right? So you learn something new today, and you can teach your children that that's, that's not true. So, but yet, so many people have had bad experiences with this thing called church. Because if we think church is about rules, then we're missing it. We think about it's, it's anything other than what, how Jesus describes the church, then we're going to get it wrong. People have, you know, it's true. In church, there are hypocrites. And there's room for one more, right? Because we all have issues. We all are learning and growing and, and imperfect. But if, if Jesus is building his church, why does the church so often not reflect him? It's a good question. And I would say the answer is because we're imperfect people who are part of the church, who are being perfected, but we're not there yet. And so many people have given up on this thing called the church, but I think most of the time people have experienced churchianity, not Christianity. Churchianity is rules and traditions and blah, blah, blah. But the church is, is, is the people of God. So I'm starting a series today called Rediscovering or Rediscover Church. Because I think many of us need to rediscover the definition, the real, what the church is really about. And what does it mean to be part of a local church? What does it mean to be part of Christ's church throughout throughout the world, throughout time, past, present, and future. To rediscover something is, is to discover something that's been forgotten or ignored. How true is that? The church has been forgotten or ignored. And so I'm hoping in this series and been praying hard that we would rediscover what Jesus meant when he said, I will build my church. Most people when they give up on church or Christianity, they're actually not giving up on Jesus because when you know Jesus, you know too much. It's like Peter said, where are we going to go, Jesus? You hold the words to eternal life. Most people are rejecting church or people when it comes to this. So what is the church? And I hear people say often, they'll say, I I don't like organized religion. And I heard a comedian kind of riff off this, and he was like, well, what do you want, disorganized religion? Like, uh, well, we don't know what day of the week we meet. Um, we might meet on Tuesday. We might. Do we want disorganized religion? Use that next time somebody says, I don't like organized religion. Okay, let's have disorganized religion. What is the church? Here's a working definition of the church. The church is people who recognize they belong to Jesus. And they represent him here on earth. The church is an extension of Jesus and his ministry in this world. Can you leave that up just for a minute? People who recognize they belong to Jesus and they represent him here on earth. The church is an extension of Jesus and his ministry in the world. Man, we represent Jesus. His church represents Jesus. That's sobering. That's sobering that, that, that we, as the church or church is, or the church has the ability to give someone the wrong image of who Jesus is by our behavior. 
That's sobering and uh, scary to me a little bit. And it should be to all of us. But at the same time, what we're going to learn is how much Jesus loves us imperfect people and how he is in the business of conforming us and taking that stuff out of our life and making us truly reflect who he is. The church is both dignified and messy at the same time. We're, We're dignified because we represent Jesus. We're an extension of his ministry, but we're messy because people are messy. So before I get into my main text that I'm going to read from 1 Peter, I want to, I'm going to read something from the Old Testament. If you go back with me to Genesis 12, in Genesis 12, there, at that time, all the peoples of the earth, no one followed the true God, and they had all gone their own way. The nations were pagan, idolatry, blah, blah, blah. And then God says, you know what? Out of all these people, I'm going to create a nation for myself. And he picks a guy named Abraham. And he says, gives him this incredible calling. And he says, from you and from your line, you're, you're going to become a nation. Later, Israel. And I'm going to bless the whole world because of you and, and through you. And he says in Deuteronomy 7, 6, it's not on your notes, but he says... For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. That was the calling of Israel. They were chosen. Now remember that language when we read this passage that's going to be my my main passage this morning. Peter, the apostle who was an eyewitness to Jesus of his life, death, and resurrection, he's writing to the church, to one of the churches at the time. And so when when you're reading this with me, remember, he's talking to you. He is talking to you and I. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Did you catch the language? He's basically quoting what was spoken to Israel from, from Deuteronomy there, and he's telling the church, listen, this is who you are. You're a priesthood, a chosen nation. You have a calling as the people of God. And so through Jesus, God is taking back the nations, one nation at a time, one life at a time. He's calling individual people to be part of his church. And so this morning, the the first part kind of heading that I have, I'm going to spend the most of the time there. And then I have a, a second heading when it comes to understanding what does it mean to, to be the church? So if we're going to understand what it means to be the church, to be the extension of Jesus in this, in this world, in this broken world as Kristen prayed, we need to first of all know the calling of the church. You have a high, high calling on your life. Christians use that word, and we often think of people have a calling to ministry or a calling to missions. We collectively have a calling as a church. 
something that he has called us to do together and individually. And we get to participate in what he's doing in the world. In the Old Testament, we, we see the word temple, and you see a lot of that same language priesthood used in the New Testament of believers and of the church. And in the New Testament, we're his family, his bride, his body. Peter, a few verses before what I just read, he said, and now you are living stones. When you see that word living stones, think the temple. The temple was the place in Jerusalem where they did worship to God. He's giving a metaphor for the church to say, listen, I'm part of his temple now. He says, you are living stones that are being used to build a spiritual house. That's the church. You are a group of holy priests. And with the help of Jesus Christ, you will offer sacrifices that please God. The priest offered sacrifices. And he's saying, you guys are priests. I don't see anybody wearing a collar like Father Jones was in my picture. Why aren't you wearing your collar to church, right? It's because we have a wrong understanding of that word priest and what, how God sees us. The, we were in the airport the other day, and it was Wednesday, and it was Ash Wednesday. And you people, Catholics, maybe Orthodox, and some evangelicals, I'm not sure, but you put the sign of the cross you know, to admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. That's what, what happens when, when the priest does that for somebody. We got to talking about sacraments and a, a sacramental worldview. And in our world, our evangelical world, we don't use that word a whole lot, but today we're taking communion. Communion is a sacrament that Jesus said for his people to do. Water baptism is a sacrament that Jesus told his people to do. Now, in a lot of the other denominations or movements, there are other sacraments that that people have have brought in and traditions. We practice communion because Jesus told us to do that. And sacrament means sacred. You can see that root word sacred. And so it's where like heaven and earth kind of connect. It's an outward way of, of connecting with God. And some people really need that. They need that outward sort of thing to help them feel connected to God. So what I want to talk about is what we call the priesthood of believers. You are part of the priesthood of believers when you're part of the church. And What that means is we don't need a person, a priest, to mediate between us and God. Because of Jesus, he is the mediator between God and man. He is the true priest, as I'm going to get into that. He has also made us a kingdom of priests. It says it in Revelations 1.5 that Jesus has made us to be a kingdom priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and the dominion forever and ever. You didn't know you were a priest, did you? <laughs> Some people, this might be a little bit new for you. But when you're reading the language of the New Testament and you see that, he's talking about us, the church. So you go back to Israel in the, the Old Testament understanding of what priests were called. Israel themselves as a people were called to be a priesthood. And yet, if you read through the Torah, you read through the first five books of the Bible, you see that Israel, they were afraid of God. And they said, Moses, you do it for us. Moses, we need you to to mediate. We're afraid of God. And so then 
you see Moses, he didn't want to do it either. And so he called his brother Aaron to, to do this. Everybody had a, a wrong concept of who God was. But the priests uh, mediate God's, were to mediate God's blessings on earth. Priests represent uh, people to God and God to people. Priests had these, the role of offering worship in the temple, in the tabernacle. They had the role of offering sacrifices where they would, you know, burn uh, incense. They would offer sacrifice for sin. They would offer sac- sacrifice for thanksgiving, all kinds of stuff. Priests gave blessings, right? The famous Aaronic uh, Blessing in Numbers, may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you, and give you his peace. That comes from Aaron, who was the first high priest. That job of the priest was to bless. And they were to intercede on behalf of the people. Are you hearing some of this New Testament language here? That's what we do. We worship. We offer sacrifice, not of animals, but of serving, a sacrifice of praise and so forth. And we bless and we intercede for others. So if you go back to Adam and Eve, the first people God creates, they had a calling as image bearers to represent God on the earth. That's, that was their calling. They were male and female created in the image of God. And when you look at what their calling was in the garden, was to work. Before, before the fall, their calling was to work the garden and grow it and grow Eden all over the world and be fruitful and multiply and so forth. That word in Hebrew for work is a very interesting word because it's also the word for worship. So as a priest to God, you as part of the church, what you do for your work can be a sacrifice of worship, can be offered every day, even that job you hate. If you do it in the right attitude and the right spirit, it can be offered as worship to God because you're, you're a priest. You're a priest unto God. Then we see um, in Genesis 14, Abraham, he, Abraham had this priestly calling as well to represent God on the earth. And he meets a guy named Melchizedek. And you don't see a whole lot about Melchizedek except for in Genesis then he comes up in one of David's Psalms and then in the book of Hebrews. And Melchizedek was both a king and a priest before Israel unto God. He was a king and priest. There's a lot of this similarities in the king and priest kind of role that we learn about in, in the Old Testament. And then you fast forward to Moses. Moses leads the children of Israel uh, out of Egypt and God tells them how to worship in this thing called the tabernacle, which was a mobile like worship thing that they would set up the tent. And within the, the tabernacle, they offered all the sacrifices and did, did the worship. And remember this one, too. This is going to be so important. When, the, when a high priest was anointed, they would pour oil symbolically over, and they would just drench his head and his beard and so forth. That was a symbolic anointing of his calling as high priest. In the tabernacle, I just learned this recently. I've been learning some really cool stuff lately. And in, did you know that the tabernacle and the temple was designed after the Garden of Eden? That's what God wanted. And in, in the 
in the tabernacle, there was the outer place. There was a door into the tabernacle, into the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was God's sacred space. It was where God's tangible presence was there. Of course, God is everywhere, but it was his sacred place. Well, if you look at the Garden of Eden, what did you have? You had the outer part of the garden. There was a doorway going into the garden. We learn that after Adam and Eve are, are exiled out of the garden, that there's two angels, two cherubim that guard the door into the garden. But what was in the middle of the garden? The tree of life. Tree of life symbolizes that very presence of God. And so you see the tabernacle being, you know, shaped after the Garden of Eden. And then the priests would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people, right? David was a type of king and priest as well. David was, was anointed king, but he had priestly duties that he did in his life, the writing of the Psalms, the worship, dancing before the Lord. Psalm 110 is a special Psalm. Psalm 110, David wrote that, that there would always be a king on his throne, David's throne, somebody that would come behind him. The true king, the true high priest would come one day. And then they built the temple, which was a permanent picture of, of Eden and the place of worship. So you get to Jesus, the true high priest. If you want to read about Jesus being our high priest, I highly recommend you dig into the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews was written by a Hebrew follower of Jesus to Hebrew followers of Jesus. And so all this unpacking of the Old Testament and culture and things that kind of we're, we're a little far behind on understanding that. That's why every February when you get in your Bible reading plan and you get to the book of Leviticus and you go, I don't want to read this anymore because this makes zero sense that I can't eat this. I got to do that and wear your clothes this way. It, there, it all is pointing to Jesus. Don't ever forget that. All of the stuff in the Old Testament, the, the worship, the sacrifices, the priestly duties, it's always pointing to the true king and true high priest in the person of Jesus. Jesus is the mediator between God and man as our high priest. He is the mediator. He fulfilled it all. And when you look through all those people that I long-windedly just shared with you from Adam and Eve uh, through David and so forth, they all failed. They all failed at their calling as, as priests, so to speak. And the kings all failed. They all have marks on their life where they didn't obey God, where they didn't follow God. They were tested and failed. David was a man after God's own heart, and yet he still failed greatly. When you look at... Uh, the life of the Lord Jesus, though, he was tested in every way, yet without sin. In his humanity, he was just like us, and yet he never sinned. And so Jesus, as our king, as our high priest, he offered himself as the sacrifice. Because he's the king, because he's the high priest, he's calling us as the church to represent him here on earth, and to continue his ministry. Jesus, in his humanity, identified with us in becoming one of us in his, the incarnation. And he, he showed it in getting baptized. When Jesus got baptized, he was saying, I'm with them. I'm with you guys. I'm one of you. 
We got to let that sink in. We put Jesus way out there sometimes. He's, he's way over, over there and we, we can't get to him. And he says, no, I'm right here. I'm with you. I'm one of you. And I know as I was preparing this, that if you hear me say this over and over and over, that we represent Jesus on the earth, we're an extension of his ministry, you're going, I'm not a very good representation of Jesus. And I'll tell you this, neither am I. Me too. I see it every day in thought, word, and deed, how I'm not behaving like Jesus would or loving, or peaceful, or peacemaking. We all have failed. But the true king, the true high priest, has come in and stood in our place. He passed all those tests. So we all get an A plus because of him, because of what, who Jesus is and what he's done. So let me move now from the calling of the church to the function of the church, the functioning of the church. If we're the people of God, how do we function in this calling? And I would summarize it in, um, there's five purposes for the, for the church, and there's five purposes for us as individuals as well. And we, we individually and collectively have five purposes that guide the people of God. Our vision as a church from day one has been to be a modern expression of what the early church looked like in Acts chapter 2. How, how did they see Jesus, one another, how did they see this world, and what did they, how did they function as a, as a church? Obviously, it's going to look different in 2022 than it did 2,000 years ago, but there are principles and purposes that the people of God still have today. And I taught about this a few weeks ago. This passage of Scripture is really like our guide as a church on how do, how do we function. It's in the cafe. If you ever want to see it, there's a poster of, of these verses. And after the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell and, and Peter preached the message about Jesus and thousands of people uh, start following Jesus, it concludes in the ch- chapter 2, says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. Lord's Supper into prayer, a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. And all the while, praising God, enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I see those five purposes in there that that make us function as the people of God. We're the priesthood of God. We have this calling to represent and extend the ministry of Jesus in this, this world. And we should take it very seriously. And when you take that calling very seriously, we take care of one another. We function together in the purposes that God gave us. So there's five things that that we are to be pursuing as a church. The first one is we're pursuing to be a worshiping community. Individually, a lifestyle of worship. And then corporately, we gather together 
not just to hear Christy's beautiful voice or admire Steve's drums or any of this stuff. We're here to worship the Lord together because we're his priests. Priests went into the temple and they sang and they offered sacrifices. Hebrews 13, 15 says that we are to offer sacrifice of worship to the Lord. This blew me away when I learned this. Very famous passage of scripture, Matthew 18. Um, Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the middle, right? Well, in the temple, in the tabernacle, what was in the middle of the tabernacle temple? The Holy of Holies, the sacred space of God. What was in the middle of the garden? Tree of life, right? The holy, the God's sacred space, God's sacred place. So Jesus is saying where the two or three of us are gathered, he's right there in the middle because he is the Holy of Holies. He is uh, the tree of life himself. And so when we gather together, he's right here in the middle of us. So it it's, could be on Sunday, our home group, our core group, having lunch, wherever we go 24-7, we have the Holy of Holies living within us. We're, we are the temple of God. You've become the sacred space of God. Let that sink in. The second thing we're pursuing is to be a connecting community. That's the word fellowship. Fellowship is more than just shooting the breeze, talking about the Broncos and eating together. That can be part of it. But fellowship is practicing the one another's. Fellowship is where we do life together. We help one another. And that's why we push, not push, but our, our promote home groups. And if you're not in a home group, you, you need to be in a home group. It's so vital to our life to be, be part of that. How do we connect outside of a Sunday morning? And then we're to be pursuing to be a serving community. Do you see how the early church, they served one another? cared for one another, they met one another's needs. Hebrews 13, 16 says that we are to offer sacrifices of doing good for others and sharing our stuff with others, meeting the needs of others, meeting the practical needs of the church. You know, I mean, there's, there's needs. That's why we ask for volunteers and we have ask for help because it's part of being a follower of Jesus is being a servant. He modeled that for us, as well as serving the community and help meet needs. As serving is meeting the needs of others. We have a prayer meeting that happens every Thursday at 930, and a group of people have faithfully for years lifted your prayer requests up as a sacrifice of praise to God, faithfully. Prayer is a form of serving as well. And then we're pursuing to be an impacting community. You see, the early church, man, they had impact. They, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we want to impact the world both locally, and we want to impact the world globally, one life at a time. And we impact through proclaiming the gospel, telling people the good news of what Jesus has done on their behalf of through his life, death, and resurrection, he defeated our enemies of death, sin, and the evil one, been, been defeated. That's the good news. That's the gospel. People need to participate in faith with what the good news has done. Then we demonstrate the good news by serving and, and caring for others. Do you know there's a power in inviting people 
to be part of this community. You invite people to come to church, come to a men's group, come to a women's thing, come just be part of it. There's so many people in this room or watching online came because you were invited by somebody. Let's get back in the really good habit of inviting people to be participating in our community. Not just so that we feel good about the numbers that we have on a Sunday morning, so that we can impact people's life. So people have been changed. There's people in this room, this church, and the people of this church have impacted you in such a a positive way. How many more people need that? And then some go, like go to the nations, that calling to go. And then the last thing is we're pursuing to be a maturing community where we're growing spiritually, where we're growing in our discipleship to Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 16, great chapter. Um, another key passage that we as a church family and as a church leadership, Acts 2, 42 through 47, Ephesians 1 through 16 is our goal. Everything we do is to, is, as Paul says, is to, to present one another as mature in Christ. That we're pursuing maturity. So the person that's near what they believe to the person that's been walking with Jesus for 60 years, we're all in need of grace every day. And the whole goal is that we become like Jesus. Because that's his goal for each one of us is that we reflect who he is. So how do we accomplish these functioning of the church, these purposes, home groups. How many times have you heard the word home groups this morning? (laughs) Say it with me. Home groups, louder, home groups, right? Home groups are the place where you grow. It's the place where you get loved on. And this came up in one of our leadership meetings. I thought it was brilliant. Uh, Somebody asked the question, well, why should I participate in a home group? Why should I do that? Well, it's really good for you, and they make good food, and we watch the Broncos together. Of course not. Get in a home group so that you experience the love of Jesus Christ, and that you can share the love of Jesus Christ. That's what we're the church. We've been called to experience and share the love of Jesus. And in experiencing the love of Jesus isn't some out there experience or just, ooh, I got zapped with the love of Christ. No, it's because you loved me. I experienced the love of Jesus. It's because you forgave me when I screwed up that I experienced the love of Jesus. You served my family when we were in need. We experienced the love of Jesus. That's why you should be in a home group. And then core groups are another organic thing that we have. I'm in a home group. Janelle and I are in a home group and a core group. And core groups are, would be awesome in, in, if they developed from home groups, the relationships that happen within a home group. But a core group is three or four men or three or four women who meet intentionally and consistently to bear one another's burdens, to pray together, to go a little bit deeper in, in, at the heart level. So practicing we, the white, men's and women's things that we do. We had our men's core breakfast yesterday, and it was great. And the goal is to get a little taste of, of what that means for iron, sharpening iron, and so forth. We're going to take communion this morning. As we move into it, I want to share something with you. Jesus is our high priest. He's a priest mediated between God and man. Jesus, the God-man, 
came into this world to be the true king and to be the true high priest on our behalf. And now he's bestowed upon his church this thing called the priesthood of believers. That's us. That's our calling as a church. And as we're getting ready to reflect on Jesus' sacrifice for us as high priest, in the Gospels we read about him standing before the high priest at the time of Israel was a man named Caiaphas. When we were in Israel, we went to Caiaphas' house, and they actually have like an area where there was like a jail cell that Jesus, you know, would have been in. We read one of the Psalms prophetically about Jesus. It was amazing. But the high priest, they were anointed. As I said, the high priest, they would pour oil over the top of their head as a symbolic of them, this anointing, this calling as priest. And so two high priests come together. You got the real one in Jesus. And then you got Caiaphas, who is a, a, a man that's sinful. And he asked Jesus, he says, are you the anointed one? Are you, which means, are you the Christ, the Messiah? Because they were waiting. Every high priest knew they weren't the Messiah. They were longing and waiting for the high priest. And they were kind of a, a stand-in until the, the real deal comes. And so they had heard about Jesus' miracles and things that he was doing and saying. And they, he would, Jesus is on trial before the religious leaders. And they say to him, are you the anointed one? Are you the Christ? And Jesus says, I am. And they didn't fall on their knees in reverence. They couldn't recognize him. The priest time was pretty corrupt. Instead, they punched him in the face. And he took it. He took their mockery and they, they cried out, blasphemy. Because right after they punched him, Jesus said, you will see the Son of Man come in the clouds in all his glory. And he's quoting Daniel 7 about the Messiah and, and who, who that was. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. Instead of worshiping him, they punched him. And as I was working on this yesterday, the Lord showed me something that blew my mind. I didn't read it in a book or hear it in a podcast. He just downloaded it to me. I wanted to share it with you. When you think of a high priest being anointed in this kind of glorious thing, this ordination, pouring the oil over the head of the priest, I start thinking, Lord, if you're our high priest, where's the symbolism for you? Because there's nothing in the Bible. The Bible is... You can't make the stuff up that's in the Bible, right? It just, when it fits together. I thought, where, where was your anointing? Was it your baptism? Was that kind of the symbolic? And the thought hit me in Matthew 26. Jesus is talking to the religious leaders about what he was going to go through, and they were mocking him. And if you remember, the woman comes in. A woman comes in with an expensive bottle of anointing oil. And she poured it over his head. And the disciples got mad. And they're like, why are we wasting money? Religious leaders were watching this happen. And Jesus said, she's anointed me for my burial. Our king 
his throne was a cross. Remember the whole story about Jesus, a crown of thorns on his head. They put a purple robe over him, a kingly robe, which later would just be covered in blood, his blood. And nailed above his head was the inscription, the king of the Jews. Our king is a humble king. Our priest is a humble priest who his anointing wasn't in glory. It was he was about to go to death on our behalf. That moved my heart because the more and more you, you, you understand these things, the more you understand how great he really is and how good he really is and how much he really does love us. So if you're at home, you can get your, your bread and juice or wine and then um, I want you guys to stand up and you can come and get the elements and then go back to your seat and let's take it all together as a family as the worship team leads us in another song.
Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men, all people to me. And by that lifting up, he meant the cross. Be lifted up on the cross and and be our sacrifice. And now our calling is we lift him up in worship and praise. And when we lift him up, he's drawing people to himself. And I pray that today and from here on out, you will not see church as a building or a place you go to. You'll see yourself as the church. The church goes wherever you go. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there he is right in the middle. That's what I pray, God. Just if you got anything burns out in your heart today and in your mind. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus was with his disciples and he had served them he had washed their feet he cared for them and they had a meal together and Jesus took this opportunity to teach his disciples about the new covenant and he took some bread a very Jewish thing to do and he lifted it to heaven and he blessed it and he told them he said this bread represents my body that's going to be broken for you my body that's going to be broken for you he said When you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. In the same way, after the meal, Jesus took a cup of wine and he lifted it to heaven. He blessed it. And he said, this represents my blood that's going to be shed to usher in the new covenant, to end the sacrifice of animals and all that was, was, was over. Because the sacrifice of sacrifices, all those sacrifices pointed to what he was going to do on the cross and his resurrection. And he told them to drink in remembrance of him. Let's take the cup. Lord Jesus, you're the best. You are the best. Heavenly Father, thank you that you call us sons and daughters. Jesus, thank you that you're not ashamed to call us your brothers and sisters. Holy Spirit, thank you that you chose to take up residency in us permanently as the temple. We're your temple. And I pray for us individually that we would go from here today energized in faith and an understanding of who you are and who we are because of you. And God, we would represent you on this earth And we would extend your love and grace to a broken world. God, all of us are in need of grace every day. Your grace 
and it's by your grace alone. We add nothing to it, but you've privileged us to partner with you in extending that grace to this world. So help us to do that. Lord, let the enemy not speak into people's ears about all their faults and failures, but empower and transform us into the future and not not worry about the past. We thank you for it. Thank you for what you've done for us. In the name of your son, I pray. Amen.